0: Welcome to the Lend Academy podcast, episode number 197. This is your host Peter Renton, founder of Lend Academy and co-founder of the Lendit Fintech Conference. Today's show is sponsored by Lendit Fintech Europe 2019, Europe's leading event for innovation in financial services. It's coming up on the 26th and 27th of September in London at the Business Design Centre. We've recently opened registration as well as speaker applications. You can find out more by going to lendit.com Europe. Today on the show, I'm delighted to welcome Emma Lynn Shaw. She is the managing partner at Flourish. Now, Flourish is a new brand, but it is an existing organization that has quite some history. It is being spun out of the Omidyar network, and it already has, even though it's a new brand, it has already 40 portfolio companies, all of which received investments from the Omidyar network. So anyway, I wanted to get Emily on the show to, to talk about Flourish and why they decided to make this move at this time and, and, and start a new brand, and what are some of the things that they're looking for in and adding to their portfolio, how Emma Lynn views the, the state of fintech today and where is it, uh, are the valuations frothy and where is there still value and what, what does it take to, to get on her radar? We also we also talk about the, the sort of the, the research that they continue to fund and I also ask her about working with uh, Pierre Omidyar and it was a fascinating interview. I hope to enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Emma Lynn.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Okay, so um, I'd like to get these things started by giving the listeners uh, a little bit of background about yourself and and you know, what you've what you've done in your career to date.
1: Wonderful. Well, well thank you so much. My name is Shaw. I co-manage uh, Flourish, and I lead the U.S. investments specifically focused on promoting financial health and economic opportunity. i uh, about twenty years of investing experience in technology, both early stage and growth across a number of different sectors, and and really pride myself on working very closely with entrepreneurs and and helping them scale businesses. And prior to that, I was in investment banking and also worked at a fintech. So I've had quite a long arc of of exposure around technology Mm -hmm. and, and really had a passion for wanting to marry real financial business models with impact. Uh, I attended Wharton Business School, MBA from Berkeley, cum laude, Phi Beta Kappa, my academic experience, but really um, wanted to take both the academic training, but more importantly, the investment and technology exposure to apply uh, towards what we really think about as an innovative way of investing in fintech companies. Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. Sure. So I want to talk about... um, the, the thinking behind sort of this rebrand or spin-off. Um, you know, everyone, I mean, m- most of the listeners will have heard of the uh, you know, Midiar Network, uh, particularly those in the impact in the investing space. But what sort of, what was the decision, why decide to, to sort of spin off into a into a new entity and with a new name? What was the thinking behind that?
1: Yes, well, as you're, as you're familiar with, you know, Midiar has been around and really coined impact investing broadly and over the past 10 years had spent quite a bit of time focused specifically on at the time was called financial inclusion
2: mm-hmm. and the
1: effort there and we built an incredible portfolio uh, and it was really an opportunity to then operate in this more entrepreneurial setting in a skunk's work setting to focus and double down on not just financial inclusion but financial health broadly
2: mm-hmm.
1: and 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 providing a separate name And a fund gives us that opportunity to be very clear in our narrative, be able to be very responsive and skunk-work-like in a dedicated $500 million fund. 200 of which comes from our existing portfolio of 40 portfolio companies and 10 ecosystem investments. And 300, which is new capital to be deployed against this mission of achieving financial health on a global basis.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. So then, so then how, how is that different to the the mission the, the Amityar's Amityar Network's overall mission? I mean, what, just maybe tease that out a little bit for us.
1: Yes, I think in, in historically, you know, Amityar is known and they proved this model of impact investing and was really focused on a dual checkbook of providing a for-profit businesses with equity dollars as well as nonprofit through grants. Mm -hmm. And I think the distinction that we were trying to provide for Flourish is to still use a portion of both equity as well as grants towards this mission, but much more specific to financial services. So in this case, where 85% of our equity dollars go towards for-profit companies and 15% go towards really ecosystem investing Around supporting everything from CF companies, entities like CFSI, mm-hmm. who provide real rich uh, research against you know the health of the financial consumer today, as well as partnering with folks in that are creating uh, regulatory sandbox technology in order for us to really understand how technology can change and actually improve regulatory decisions. And so I think this breakdown of 85 15 is different than I would characterize the traditional omidyar uh, network use of for-profit nonprofit capital
0: okay okay that makes sense so so let's then talk about the portfolio and I'm, I'm on your website right now and you've got uh, which obviously I'll link to in the show notes but you you have an interesting mix maybe you know, and there's certainly a lot of there's a lot of pretty big names and in, in here now that uh, well well-known names anyway I should say so maybe you could just, I don't want you to run through every single one, but just maybe take us through some of the, the highlights of the portfolio companies you have right now.
1: Yes, thank you. No, I appreciate uh, you recognizing the, the our portfolio. We're very excited about um, kind of the importance and the impact that they've made broadly on the sector. You know, given my focus specifically on the US and, and given your focus as well in terms of kind of the areas that you specialize in, I, I would say, If you look specifically at that market, we focus again on the 70% of U.S. Americans who live paycheck to paycheck, a majority of whom a $500 emergency would put them in a very uh, dangerous position as it relates to their own financial uh, position and economic health. And as a result, we really thought about how do we invest in technology that either allows folks to earn more income in order to change that that dynamic to either spend differently, manage expenses, access credit differently, and improve savings. And I think along those lines, there have been a number of companies that embody that mission. Mm -hmm. I would say the first of which would be Chime. you know, as a challenger bank, one of the the most successful to date and certainly the the largest in the U.S. uh, They've really provided what we characterize as a win-win for consumers in that they are leveraging the rails. They are a digital only bank. They are no fee for the consumer. They're aligned in terms of what the consumer, as a consumer spends and engages with their direct deposit account. Chime also is able to generate revenue. So they're very aligned in terms of the fees and how they make money. And I believe that that has been instrumental in terms of the trust that they've engendered and the growth that they've experienced. Um, They've also, as a result of their offering, been able to realize and and motivate some actual savings and be able to measure that savings. And to us, that's a real embodiment of a very commercial business Mm -hmm. from a financial services perspective that also creates massive impact. is able to address a market that honestly typically doesn't have very rich financial services right the lma market many of whom don't have a high enough income stream to justify being part of a large bank and if they did they're often the fees are so difficult for them principally around overdraft fees and the like that they're they're not able to really take advantage of of a full financial banking solution so this Mm -hmm. has really been transformative on a number of fronts Uh, steady is is another one that we're very excited about Um, they really are providing what we characterize as the income generation side of the house. They are providing a marketplace for the hourly worker, whether it be gig or otherwise, to provide a portfolio of work. And I think in a world of 1099, where that market is only growing substantially, it's a real opportunity, folks, to choose from among the best type of job opportunity for this consumer. And ultimately, over time, provide necessary upskilling to allow them to actually generate more hourly work at a higher pay than they would otherwise have. So there's been a real, a real obvious ROI in the short period of time that they've been able to identify some true savings. And, and again, we're very in the early stages of managing the closes of incremental earning, but in this very early stage, I've already been able to see folks earn upwards of 167 and and then some within a month of joining study and getting on that
2: platform. Uh-huh, uh-huh.
1: And we're still in the very early stages of actually really increasing that revenue opportunity over time. So very excited about what we're seeing there. Right. And then I would I would say the last, which is also an interesting example of, again, a very commercial opportunity, but really impactful, is really around um, the technology innovation of the company called Propel that's actually providing technology services and ultimately financial services for the food stamp recipients. And in that case, again, really meeting a consumer where their greatest need is. It's providing a very easy way for them to check their food stamp levels and then ultimately to be able to find ways to save, manage how they're using that food stamp distribution. And then ultimately provide very rich financial services on the back end, very similar to kind of the green dot esque that we're we're familiar with in, in other markets. And I think what we're seeing there is again across all three of these companies, because the need is so important. The customer acquisition costs actually are quite impressive and really afford for powerful uh, unit economics and ultimately scale for the business. Right. And so those are just three that I would, I'd highlight that I'm particularly excited about, mm-hmm. of which there are many.
0: Sure, sure. And I, there are many others that, that I know are also fantastic companies in your, in your portfolio. So... What about for new opportunities? I'm sure you you, are getting a lot that come across your desk. But how does uh, like a someone that you that thinks they listen to this and they think, well, I fit in the wheelhouse for for flourish? What's the best way for them to get on your radar?
1: So, as you know, we look for we have we look for transformative ideas, and we look for ideas that are principally focused on improving financial health. We try to be everywhere. That consumers specifically. If there's any any conferences that are around financial health, we try to be front and center to make sure folks are aware of, of our mandate and what we care about. We've also leveraged our rich, um, very rich and deep source of leads through our invest, our own investments in CEOs and management teams. And that has been a really powerful way to both find new mission-based entrepreneurs that share our, our objectives. We've also, we also believe that at the end of the day, we may not actually always be the right fit as an investor for or somebody's entrepreneurs, but we want to serve and leverage our broad ecosystem, both within our own fund, but in a media at large, to make sure we help continue to foster the advancement. And, that, and I think what we're finding is more broadly across financial services, people are coming to us 80% of which are very much in our sweet spot. 20% that may not be, that we're still really going out of our way to continue to support in order to continue to climb the pump and make sure that they are aware of how we can provide value over time. Right. I think those, those, those tenants have been particularly affected. Mm-hmm. Um, but we will continue to to, to be very vocal in terms of this mandate. I think that has, has drawn a, a number of interesting companies our way.
0: Right. And so are you, are you focused really, is it on early stage you know, rounds or what, what sort of stage are you, are you, do you invest in?
1: Yes, our, our principal focus is uh, seed and Series A and we will entertain opportunistic B's. But, but again, I think the most important, we are fortunate to be have a single LP in Pierre and pen and We are, are very patient capital. We don't, unlike other funds, having been part of other funds in my career, we don't have ownership restrictions. And so as a result, we can really, it's really our focus is making sure we're going to back the right types of investments that satisfy our both our impact mission and our financial return expectations. And because of that, we're able to play across the continuum.
0: Mm-hmm. Got it, got it. Okay. And so I know that you said your particular geographic focus is the US, but obviously you look at your portfolio of companies and they're, they're from many different geographies. So when you look at the uh, at flourish, what, what are the geographies you're operating in?
1: Yes, thank you for asking. Um, so our fund, I would say we our emerging markets are India, Africa, Latin America, and other parts of Southeast Asia. And then the other half of our fund is really focused
0: on the U.S. Mm-hmm. Okay,
1: got it. Okay, so one thing that
0: I'd like to ask you about is that uh, it seems to me like for, you know, like, for example, at LendIt we just had we just came off LendIt a couple of weeks ago, and I know you you spoke there, and I've, I look at the the interest in financial inclusion. We've had a financial inclusion track now for three years at LendIt, and. Uh, Every year, it gets more crowded and it gets it, it's more popular, um, and it feels like when you're just reading the press, there's much more talk now about you know financial health and and, and financial inclusion in general. Like, I'm just, I'd be curious to get your take on it. Why do you think it's becoming a, a more important part of the conversation in fintech these days?
1: You know, I would say that as I mentioned earlier, our focus with originally was on financial inclusion and it was really uh, with a, with a focus in emerging markets in particular. And I would say that that, while it still remains a focus, we've, there has been some success in terms of including on a, on emerging market basis more. And I think that, that progress has been applauded by many. Is it by, is it over? By no means. Is there still very much a need and effort to continue to include the financial Uh, consumer, absolutely. But I think what we're finding, and this is a global phenomenon, is they may be included, they may be provided rich services, but within that construct, they're actually failing, Mm. meaning they're barely able to sustain. And and in the U.S. in particular, again, as I mentioned before, there's still 70% of U.S. Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. So this is very much a middle class problem as well. And so then the question becomes, is it really an inclusion issue or is it a health issue? And what do we need to do differently from a financial services perspective to make sure people are thriving, right? That folks aren't overextended Mm -hmm. um, and that they can actually take advantage of these financial services in a meaningful way. And I think that's what's driving so much innovation from maybe what we characterize as commercial entrepreneurs. Because I think they recognize that you know in the absence, innovating in financial services at at the expense of and and not ultimately driving financial health doesn't end up being a win-win for anyone, let alone being able to scale a viable commercial business. And so we're finding there to be a huge shift towards understanding that base and really providing them the means to become more financially healthy while being able to engage in financial, which financial services and transactions, uh, and I think that's what's driving a lot of that, um, the focus more broadly, and not just in the US but globally.
0: Right. No, I I completely agree, and I feel like we we're at this. It's it's an interesting time right now, and I, there's becoming more awareness. I think in the general population about you know, because there's, there's more there's a call for more transparency, and there's there's like the the popularity of of companies like Chime. And, and Stash and many and many others that, that are that are getting really serious serious traction is that people people don't want to pay fees, they they, they want something that's simple, that is uh where is a win for them and not a and not just a win for the financial institution. And it's 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 a really interesting inflection point. I think the sort of the younger generation are driving this and you know I think there's so much entrepreneurial activity happening that that it's it's a quite exciting time. But but I wanna move on and actually ask a related question to this you know we've been tracking all the all the major funding rounds uh, in fintech globally since the beginning of the year we've been tracking it very closely and you know obviously uh, one of your portfolio companies chime had a huge round there are many others that have had you know massive rounds at at unicorn st- um, status as far as the the valuations go and how do you feel about that as far as do you think the valuations in fintech are getting a little bit uh, ahead of themselves or or do you feel like the, there's still good value if you know where to look?
1: Yeah, I think we're still having, again, been in venture for 20 years now. I mean, I think we're in the very front end of of, of parts segments being somewhat more frothy than others. I think broadly across uh, fintech, there's still a lot of opportunities, particularly around financial health where they're very much in line and, and and you're seeing kind of more traditional metrics being applied. There are frothy areas for sure. You're seeing that in the Bitcoin pr- cryptocurrency world. You're certainly seeing that to some extent one would argue in the challenger banks. I think what we're what we're noticing and what you're what's symptomatic at least of the challenger banks in my mind is a couple of things. You've mentioned earlier about where we're seeing millennials go and this need for kind of alignment. There's a massive distrust among traditional financial institutions, in particular among incumbents, especially among the millennial generation, but I think more broadly. And this is a result of some of the hidden seas, some of the uncertainty around a lack of transparency, shall we say, um, for the for current financial services. And I think as a result, it's such a massive market. And the idea of really disrupting a market like that, I think is incredibly compelling. And part of what you're seeing is a throckiness built into what could that really look like if mm-hmm. there's true disruption in that market? Mm-hmm. Um, now you could say, well, yeah, but you look at the numbers and the penetration's pretty low, so does that really warrant these unicorn levels? I think there's some validity there. I will say though, like anything, once you're getting scale and once you're getting you have real data, especially with the digital rails, there's a there's a the upside is quite high and, and the ability then kind of scale and provide really meaningful rich services and, and, the minimus churn, I think ends up becoming a very compelling value proposition. The, the valuations of which become highly justified. So I think we're kind of in that precipice where it's certainly frothy, but I, it doesn't, it, I'm not losing sleep at this point. I feel like there's in an in, in industry that needs to be disrupted. There's some celebration among the very few who've been able to show some real penetration thus far.
0: Right, right. For sure. So you know, one of the things that um, you know I had uh, I had Jennifer Tesher on a few a few months ago and I asked her this same question mm-hmm. and I'd be curious to get your take. It's you know while we, we there's a lot of companies that are out there doing great things and I think there's there's I mean a lot of them are still subscale but some are you know some are getting to some serious scale but it feels like all these advances in fintech have not really impacted the overall financial well-being of of the population in this country. That's just, it feels like that we're still about where we were, you know, five or 10 years ago. And, you know, how are we going to change that? Are you, do you, do you, I mean, are you optimistic about the, about the potential impact that, some of these companies can really have where suddenly it's not 70% of the population that can't handle a medical emergency. It's 30% of the population. I mean, are we ever going to get there or how, how do you think we are going to actually really see the impact of all these
1: advances? Yeah. I mean, I think you're asking such an important question. I mean, I think the whole reason we are, we've constructed this fund and our focus is exactly on that and, and really hoping to see and expecting that, these investments we're making as well as our partnerships that we're doing globally will really help bring down that number. You know, one thing that's worthy of pointing out is is in the financial industry, right? Where it's regulated, innovation is one key tenant to improving that number, but as importantly, and I'm glad you brought up Jen Tesh in particular CFSI, you know, the ecosystem is just as important, right? the, the ecosystem like CFSI, who's managing, who's capturing financial diaries, who's, who's really monitoring what the financial health pulse is, and folks like uh, Melissa Coiti and others who are driving the FinReg lab and, and this idea of how do we create innovation with a sandbox so that regulators for, can determine, should we be using alternative credit, sorry, alternative data as a means of, a, of issuing credit? And what kind of signals do we learn when we start using some of these alternative data sources? And I think in the, in the absence of you're only doing technology innovation and investing in that, that will move the needle only so far. We need to have both efforts. We need to be able to shift policy and influence regulation in order to really make sufficient change. And I think only then those two working in tandem will really afford for the type of change that I think we all want to see. And I am hopeful for sure. We do we do this every day with the hope that our investments and our strategy in, and the, and the impact that we're seeing on an individual consumer level will ultimately influence that number overall. Mm-hmm. We're in the beginnings of really trying to define and measure the type of impact, the savings rates in particular, as an example, that and, and the financial snapshot of the consumer and using technology like AI and others to provide much richer decisions among the LMI base to make the right financial decisions and to to help them think about um, the trade-offs that they make across their expenditures, across how they save, um, across how they generate new income streams. Mm -hmm. And to me, with that innovation will yield, in our hope, a very different snapshot 10, 15 years from now. And that is certainly our long-term goal and and what what we aim to, that's why we invest what we do. Right, right. Both now, for profit I, as well as nonprofit.
0: I hope you're right. I hope you're right. So, um, speaking of which, I, I want to touch on. I mean, you guys funded this research for the the U.S. Financial Diaries. You just you mentioned it just just, just a couple minutes ago. Is that the sort of thing like with, with your fifteen percent uh, of your of your money going sort of more to grant type things? Is that the kind of work you're going to continue to be supporting?
1: Absolutely. You know, as I mentioned before, I think it's so instrumental to creating the type of change we need to see. We will not be in a position, so much of this needs to be, the consumer has to acknowledge and see the value in living a more financially healthy life. And so there needs to be ways to measure what that looks like. There needs to be ways to influence the outcome of how they view their own financial situations. And I think, and we need to, as I said before, need to have policy shifts in order to maybe change some of the systems that are in place That prohibit them from being financially stable. And all of those really come in the form of our 15% of grant dollars that we're very specifically focused on, again, not just in the U.S., but globally. And that will continue to be very much an important part of our mandate going forward.
0: Right, right, okay. So then, I've got an unusual question here because it's something that I've always been curious about. I mean, we've been, you know, we've we've had connections with the Omidia network for many years. We've had several people speak at our our, our events over the years, but and obviously, we, you know, I never see Pierre Omidia out in public speaking at events, or uh, he seems he keeps a very very low profile. But I'm just wondering, how involved is he in in the business, in your business, and and what what is he like to to work with?
1: Oh, so I feel so fortunate to work with such a visionary. He has such a true passion for creating impact and such a maniacal technology sense about him. Uh, he's he's quite shy actually, so mm-hmm. he's not going to be the kind of person to be out there, you know, in front of folks and. Actively beating his chest, and I find that actually quite refreshing. As, a, as an individual, he served on our board. He's just—he is—he's got such a um, a great sense of technology and innovation, and always went to push and ask and, and question kind of the strategy, but but in a way that really is collaborative. I find him to be one. We joke that when he was—we were talking about some of the technology innovation that we've seen thus far in particular around blockchain and others. And, and he said, well, you know, I built a cryptocurrency and I broke it a couple of times and I decided, and I found that to be, I could see the holes and I was a bit concerned by, you know, the, the, the technology and the potential risk risk there by virtue of my own having built and hacked into a system. And I just, it, it occurred to me that he, uh, He's he's not sitting he's not sitting idle. He's still very much coding and still very much playing <laughs> with technology in a pretty meaningful way, and it's and it just it's a testament to kind of the man he is. He's just so curious and he's also um, very involved on the technical side. Um, but I would say overall, just just a wonderful a wonderful executive with with such a true passion for impact, but is also still so present in the business. Discussions and trade-offs, and I think I've, I can't imagine a more astute and thoughtful board member, to be honest.
0: Okay, that's interesting. So, so we're almost out of time. I wanted just to, to finish with, you know, you've, you've just established Flourish Flourish Ventures is, 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 a, is a brand new brand. What is, what is your vision? What are your plans? Just like us maybe for the next twelve months. We saw we all saw the news about the three hundred million dollars you've got over for the next five years to to invest. But let's just. You know, how how do you intend to kind of grow and, and evolve over the next 12 months?
1: You know, I see this as an opportunity for us, truly, as mentioned earlier, to really double down. And, you know, in our mind, we have 18 global team members. And as I mentioned before, our four, over 40 portfolio companies and 10 ecosystem investments, those we will continue to see grow, impact, create some real change. I think in addition we're planning on actively leveraging uh, again our focus 50% of which will be in the US but the other 50% will be in the emerging markets that I listed before all around active financial health investments. One thing that you we didn't touch upon but I'd love to maybe expand a bit further is is kind of in addition to our investment folks within our team of 18 six of whom are really focused on really providing a rich level of portfolio support. So marketing, HR, finance, impact, um, legal. And we've been really fortunate to be able to bring that level of support, some of which internally, but most of which to our portfolio companies in a really meaningful way. Mm -hmm. And so what I'd love to see is be able to watch some of our existing portfolio really be able to prove out and be able to report out some of these more meaningful metrics that we were talking about earlier, not just in terms of financial success, which we're seeing quite a bit of, but also the impact success um, that really couples why we believe that these are the right types of vehicles to be investing in long-term. And I'd like to see more of that come through our new portfolio companies as well as our existing and be able to really propagate that more broadly to the marketplace, and that's another way of impacting influence that that we were discussing earlier. Um, but those are some of the objectives that I'd like to see us uh, achieve over the next year.
0: Okay. Well, on that note, we'll have to leave it there. I, I really appreciate you coming on the show today, Emmalyn.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's really been a pleasure.
0: Okay. See you. Take care. I really appreciate that Flourish is, is focused more broadly on financial health. It really is, I think, an urgent need in this country and around the world. Where for all of you know, the, the money in developed countries like the US, we still are not very financially healthy. We should be. And it is through the efforts of, of companies like Flourish that, uh, that fund an ecosystem of companies that really can make a difference. And some, some of her portfolio companies, are already reaching significant scale and it's when some of these companies get to massive scale get to the scales of tens of millions of customers that's when we're going to see i think a real impact a real change in everyday people's lives anyway on that note i will sign off i very much appreciate you listening and i'll catch you next time bye Today's show was sponsored by Lendit Fintech Europe 2019, Europe's leading event for innovation in financial services. It's happening September 26th and 27th at the Business Design Centre in London. Registration is now open as well as speaker applications. Find out more by going to lendit.com europe.